I often wonder what I would have if I didn't know what you had. I often wonder how much influence what you have influences what I want to have. See, here's the problem. The problem is I know too much. Amen. (laughs) I know too much about what others have that I don't have. This morning, we're going to talk about guardrails and financial guardrails, money. It's not the most sexiest thing to talk in church, money. Some of you right now, I heard money, I'm tuned out, right? But I have a problem. I have a problem, and I need counseling with my money. In fact, I'm not alone. You got a problem, and you need counseling. So turn to your neighbor next to you and say, you need counseling, Turn to your other neighbor and say, you definitely need counseling. (laughs) Here's the problem with this information. The problem with this information is it often leads to discontent in our lives. You look at what everyone else has and say, I don't have that. And this information can lure us into financial ruin. It can ruin us into extreme credit card debt that we never thought we would ever be in there before. But we look around and see what everyone else has that I don't have. And we got to keep up with the Joneses, do we not? Sad. So we need guardrails. If you haven't been here over the last two weeks, we've been on this series titled Guardrails, and we were like, oh, guardrails, yeah, that's out in the roads, and we get that. But I want a quick review, because today is part three. We wrap up the series next week with part four and celebrate communion together. Real quick, I want to say happy Father's Day to you dads and to you men who may not be a biological father, but in some way, shape, or form, you've had to step up into that role to maybe a nephew or maybe just another friend or whatever. Hey, happy Father's Day. Take this time. Enjoy this hot, steamy, sticky, nasty weather, all right? Fall will be here soon enough. There's promise on the horizon in Michigan football. I mean, that's all we care, right? We just need Michigan football. Hey, you know, real quick, this is totally off topic. I think we're getting more Michigan fans here in Radiant Life. Yeah. But... The problem is, it's the state fans and Notre Dame fans that need Jesus. Hey, we love you guys as well, right? I would love to go to the, I don't even know what they call that stadium down at Notre Dame. What is it called? Is it really? Wow. Thank you, Mike. Like, really. Stole that thunder right out. Or Spartan Stadium. I'd love to go to that experience it. But we're all friends. We, we choose to disagree in love, right? We still love each other and can have fun. But hey, quick review of guardrails. A guardrail is defined as this. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Dangerous or off-limit areas. And the placement of guardrails that we see on the road is they're inside the safety zone. You never see a guardrail in the danger zone. Why? It's too late. So they put it in the safety zone. And when we're on the highway, we never sit back and say, golly, state of Michigan, MDOT, why didn't you give me that extra six inches? I really needed that extra. We don't. We're saying, hey, that's cool. Stay in my lane. That's perfect. I'm glad it's there because that's a sharp turn right there. But we're happy about that. 
We've also said as review that guardrails are designed to, what's this word? Minimize damage. You hit a guardrail, you will have damage. But it's minimized damage versus the damage if you go off the cliff. It could be deafening to you. So they're designed to minimize damage. We said they're designed to direct and protect us. And last week when we talked about intimacy, we said one of the reasons why we want guardrails is to make us feel uneasy when? Early. So as we're walking a path in our lives that we know we should not be walking down, that the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, 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 you can't be doing that. And it makes us feel uneasy early that we don't step into that sin or disaster in our lives. So guardrails. This week, we're not going to talk again like the most sexiest topic to talk about in church, but this week, we're going to talk about financial guardrails. We're going to look at money and what Jesus has to say about money. Now, some of you right now are just, you know what, Ryan, I need to stiff arm this message because here it goes again, the church and money, and that's all I hear. Well, there is a stigma out there that culture says the church is against sex and the church just wants my money. It's out there. Well, last week we talked about the first stuff. And we said, dude, this is a, sex is a great thing in the confines of marriage and it's an awesome gift by God but comes with great guidelines in our lives. This week, we're going to talk about the money, and I want you to get my heart before we jump in. My heart is that I don't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. What God wants is your heart and something for you with your money. And that's where I'm coming from this morning as we talk about financial guardrails is where are we? What does God want? And I want what God wants for you. And he talks about money, which isn't the greatest topic to have to talk to 300 people about. So here we go. We're going to jump in. So if you have your Bible or your phone or tablet, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. About two-thirds of your way through, you're going to enter into the Newer Testament. You get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John right there. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. As you set up, I want to say, in three weeks from now, we're going to be on a summer teaching series titled Summer Mixtape. In three weeks from now, I have a teaching that is going to shape the way we view the Bible. And I really, we're going to launch something in three weeks. You need to download the YouVersion Bible on your phone or your tablet. It's a free Bible. Just download it. Because in three weeks, we're going to launch something for you all as we enter into this um, message that I'm going to bring in three weeks, okay? So Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, this is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Sermon on the Hill where Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and he's doing this super long teaching to the people. I mean, the crowds are there on the hill. He's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and he brings this message, and he is talking about every topic possible, because Jesus is like, I got the crowds to listen to me. I got them all here. I'm going to touch a lot of topics. And he touches one that will touch your heart and my heart as well. Matthew 6, verse 24 says this, no one can serve two what, friends? Masters. Now you sit there and go, ah, Jesus, what you, okay, what are the two masters? Like, what is this? We live in 21st century. Like, we, this was written 2,000 years ago. Master is like, I'm not computing. And Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you the rest then. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. So here Jesus is saying, you can't serve two things. It's impossible. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. Two things. And again, it's sitting there going, Jesus, what are masters? Like, we, again, in 2018, we don't talk and have this language about masters. The only time I ever use the word master is the kids that I coach, whether it's in baseball or football, then they ask me, hey, what do you want to be called? I said, you can either call me two things, master or your highness. And they get sucked in and they do it. It's awesome. <laughs> then I tell them, kiss the ring. No, I don't do that, but... I just got called master the other day. It was like, I laughed inside. It's like, this is great. But um, so we don't have that language. So what is, what is Jesus really saying? What is this term master? Well, it's this Greek word that is kuopis. Let me hear you say kuopis. I switched it. It's that Greek word for masters. And this is what it means. One who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. So God is saying in your heart, you have two things that are competing. You have this master that's there. You have two. You can't serve two of these. Because you are whole and your whole thing, your whole body, your whole heart goes and is possessed and owned by one master. Okay, Jesus, what are those? And Jesus is going to pit two competitors in your heart and in my heart. He says this. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. You cannot serve God and money. You know, what is amazing about what Jesus just did is of all the things in the world that Jesus could have chosen in that moment to say, hey, your heart is a battleground. There are two things that are trying to possess who you are. Number one is God. And number two, it's money. Of all the things in the world God could have Jesus in this moment could have chose, he said, no, no, of all the things, I'm going to tell you what competes with God, it's money. You can't serve God and your stuff. Jesus isn't against money. This is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is there's something against your heart. Your heart is either fully possessed by your heavenly father or it's possessed by money. Which leads to a question. My question for you this morning is this. Not that, this. Do we have money or does money have us? Do we have money? Do we use it for our own personal stuff or does money have and control who we are? And that is what Jesus is tackling. This isn't a money thing. It boils down to what Jesus is saying. It's a heart thing. Who is on the throne of your heart? Is it God? Because if it's not, then it's money. And you can't serve both of these. I think I realize what happens when money is, we don't like to talk about it because we say it's mine, right? Don't tell me what to do with my money. I worked hard for it. You see the personal pronoun we say when it comes to money? I, mine, my, it all becomes me. And I realize what happens is really two things happen with our money, with this picture. 
is we go off the cliff consuming or we hit a wall and we hoard. Both pictures, it's all about you. Both pictures say, I'm going off the cliff consuming. It's all about me, me, me. Buy, buy, buy. Because I know what everyone else has and I want what everyone else has. I want that new vehicle because they got a new vehicle. They got a bigger house. I need a bigger house. They got new clothes. Man, my, I think I need a new wardrobe. And we go off the cliff consuming or you will hit the wall hoarding. And hoarding says, it's me, 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 because I fear, fear, fear what the future has. Those are the two. Andy Stanley does this great word. I realize what this all boils down to with our finances. It really is greed. Andy Stanley does this amazing um, definition of what greed is. And this is what he says. He says, greed is the assumption it's all for my what? Consumption. It becomes me. Everything I've worked hard for is mine. You can't tell me what to do with my money. I worked for it. God can't tell me what to do because it's mine. It's mine and mine. And what happens in our lives is oftentimes trouble will rear its ugly head in our lives. When trouble comes and all of a sudden we realize, wow, I have taken out way too many loans. Way too many loans. I have this car loan. I have got my mortgage. I've got these credit cards. I've done way too much. Or all of a sudden, which is out of your control, your boss lays you off. And you're in financial ruin. How are you going to pay for all this? And you know what our response is when financial disaster comes our way? Oh, dear God, help me. I need you right now because I don't know how we're going to pay that bill. I don't know what is going to come next. I just don't know. And ultimately, what our prayer becomes when a financial disaster comes our way, it's, God, I chose the wrong master. God, what I'm finally realizing is I chose money over you. You were not on my heart. You were second, third, fourth. I was controlled, possessed. My master was money. God, I chose the wrong master. I just chose wrong. Before financial trouble comes your way, why don't you invite the true master over your finances? Why wait till you're off the cliff consuming or hitting the wall hoarding? Why not invite him now into your finances? Say, God, this is yours anyways. You've blessed me. Now, God, what do you want me to do? Instead of, it's me, it's mine, it's mine. What I realize in our lives is when we get mastered by money, oftentimes people live this way. You live, you save, you give. Me first, me second, others third. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about me, baby. See, some spouses like that too much. You're like, yeah, I knew all along it was about you. Right? If we're mastered by money, it's that consumption idea. It's all about you. It's me, me, okay, others. 
But if you want to be mastering your money, we got to change our mindset and flip one and three around and so that you are mastering your money and you give others first, then me, save, then live, me. It's a complete radical mind change for you. It's a complete radical mind change for me. But if you don't want to get ruled by your money, try giving it away first. Instead, you know what we do? What bills do I have to pay? I pay these bills and got to go to Gap because I got new black tight jeans that I like. I'm not speaking from experience. And man, that new watch is looking good too. All right, oh, then I'll tithe. All right, paid my bills, and I'll tithe. And what else do I got? I don't know. Actually, I can't tithe yet because we're trying to save up for that vacation. So I need to save up for that vacation first. So I'll transfer that amount of money into that account. And then I'm going to see what's left. Okay. So then maybe I'll give 5% of what's left to the church. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll see um, because I like coffee. So I've probably got a couple coffee dates on the calendar. Um, We'll see. And it becomes about me. And here's what Jesus says to the whole crowd that's standing there. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. And then he goes on a little bit later in verse 31, and then he says, hey, by the way, don't worry don't worry what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what, we, or what shall we wear. Don't worry about these things. What I realize is when worry creeps into our hearts, into our lives, what we do with our heart and our hands is we are open and now we begin to clinch them. And they get closed. And now we say, you know what? I'm so worrying about the future. I'm living for myself now because I have nothing else to give because I'm scared. This really is a trust issue. And then he says, you know what? If you're going to worry about these things, I want to let you know something. For the pagans run after all these things. You guys want to follow me? I want to let you know. The pagans run after these things. You cannot serve God and money. And he goes on and says this, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You really believe that this morning, friends? That God knows exactly what you need and that your trust is, you know what, God, this is yours anyways. I know I'm all in. I think sometimes this is easier to read and say than actually live out. Say, God, I know I'm trusting you in this. And then he goes on in verse 33 and he says, but. And when Jesus says but, it's a big but. He's going to say something strange. He says, I know there's two competitors for your heart, God and money. You can't serve both. And stop worrying. You're going to close your heart and your hands to me. But saying all of that, here's what I want you to do. Seek what, friends? First. You know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't go on to say, hey, here's uh, the second thing you're to seek, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. He says, no, no, no. I want you to know above everything, above everything I just said, 
Seek first. Because Jesus doesn't need to say everything else because he says if you get this one thing right, you get this right, everything else will come into play in your life. I want you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because what we realize is that God's kingdom, when Jesus Christ came to usher in God's kingdom, it was all about others first. When they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? You're to love God and love others. The entire law is hinged on those two. How well you love God, how well you love others. It hinges on those two. The kingdom of God above everything is others first. In fact, Jesus' disciples they don't get it. And they're sitting there arguing about who's the greatest, right? I realize we all want to be great. What I realize at, at birth and when a child's born is that there's no one in life that says, I can't wait to get out up to the plate and strike out every time. It just doesn't happen. Everyone wants to do good, to be great. And the disciples are like, Jesus, I want to be great. I want to be great. And here in Mark ch chapter 10, Jesus has this quick conversation with the disciples about being great, and he's going to teach them a lesson about his kingdom. He says this, instead, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, instead, whoever wants to become what, friends? Great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be what? First must be slave of all. If I heard Jesus say that, I'm going, what? No. I don't like this, Jesus. I want to be great, but I definitely don't want to be a servant. And I don't want to be a servant. I definitely don't want to be a slave. But you're telling me if I'm going to be great, I got to be a servant and a slave to all? He's like, yeah, I'm not done yet though, okay? Shut up, Ryan. I'm going to say this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what are these two words? But to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. So here he is talking to his disciples, says, you want to be great. I know you guys, you guys are awesome. Even though you don't get a lot of things, what I'm doing, you're a little slow. But hey, you want to be great. You got to serve others. You got to be a slave to all. And by the way, watch my life. For the next three years, you're going to watch me do ministry. And I'm going to put others above everything. You're going to watch me usher in God's kingdom by putting others first. And by the way, the real reason I came, I'm giving my life for you. I'm giving my life for you. Do you ever think of a moment in Jesus' life, he was like, yeah, this is about me. You don't see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You don't see it. Jesus was always... It's about the other person. So going back to what Jesus is saying in Matthew on the Sermon of the Mount. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So you master your money by saying other people first. 
Can you imagine, friends, if we begin to transform not only our church, but our community, and in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, when you receive that check, whether you get it weekly or bi-weekly, and you sit there and go, okay, God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? Oh, you want me to go bless this family and buy them a new refrigerator? Mm, I need new carpet. We laugh, but that's what we do. Because I was in my friend's house who got new carpet and it looked beautiful. And I, I actually, I mean, it's only 10 years old, but the kid spilled. I need new carpet. What would it look like if we came in and had this mindset of, God, thank you so much. You know I've worked hard, but I want to bless you first. I want to live out the greatest commandment, blessing you, blessing others. How do I do that with my finances? And God, because if I seek your kingdom first, you, your promises to me is everything else will be taken care of. Just trust me. Just trust me. So do we have this? Are we still like, yeah, nope. Not quite there. Praise team, make your way up. I want to close with this. A giving heart sets a slaved heart free. A giving heart Sets a slave heart free. Because what I realize in Jesus' words, <laughs> that money can chain you down. You, we, you will become a slave to the lender. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I've got so much for you. So much more for you. Just give me your heart. Have a giving heart. And watch me flip your world upside down. So I want to close with the question. The question that we had towards the beginning of the service is this. Do we have money? Or does money have us? It's hard to get up and talk about this. But one thing I've learned through studying the life of Jesus is that selflessness can change everything. And what happens if our lives would be like, you know what, God, you've given me this short amount of time on earth. And after that, there's eternity. How can I make sure you are mastering my heart and not money. For some of us this morning, you're saying, Ryan, just give me guardrails. Just tell me what to do. I, I, I can't because our financial situations across this room are, would be all over the map. But you need to talk about this and wrestle with this question with your spouse, with your family, with your friends. Do we have money or does money have us? Because I desire in your heart what God wants to do in and through you. And God says, put others first. Put others first. Money gives us options, but only Jesus Christ sets us free. So does money have you? Or do you have the money? Let me pray for us this morning.
Father God, it's not the easiest topic. Because I'll confess, there's times where we sit there and go, yeah, it's mine. Right, God? I mean, I worked hard for this. God, my heart just beats passionately. That our hearts would align with you. That that day when you call us home and we stand before your throne and we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I crave this entire church and this community to hear those words. But you told us, hey, there's one competitor in life to your heart beside God, it's money. I pray, God, whatever aspect, whether we're knocking it out of the park and we're like, I don't even need a money message, or whether we're saying, God, I needed this this morning, would you just minister to our heart? Holy Spirit, will you convict us where we need convicting? Would you encourage us where we need encouragement? Man, God, can we truly say, and we say this at Radiant Life, we're a God-first church. May we truly and individually be able to say that. So when we meet you face-to-face, we can cry out and say, God, I tried my best. I tried to live to love you and love others, and that you would look down and say, you did well. I'm so proud of you, son. I'm so proud of you, daughter. You did exactly what my son taught you to do. Now come and let's just hang out together. Father, may that bleed in and through us. That we are God first, even in our finances. That we know you are the lion and the lamb. You are the chain breaker. You are the one that sets us free. May we live into that. And we pray this all in Christ Jesus' matchless name.